Uh, hey, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Ted. I currently serve at Reconciliation Church. Uh, we are a new church over in Nightdale. Uh, I serve there alongside our lead pastor, Russell McCutcheon, who you may be familiar with. Um, we just celebrated as a church our one-year anniversary, so that's something that we're celebrating. Yeah. Um, like you all, we are part of Acts 29. If you're not familiar, that just means that we love church planting. Uh, we, we love planting churches because what we read in scriptures, we believe to be true, and we want people to know about Jesus Christ. Um, so I will, I'll say this. I don't know many people here at uh, New City, but I do know the Dodsons and the Androsians, and I know Kevin, and um, couldn't be more thankful for those folks. Um, even just uh, day in and day out, knowing that there are people like this uh, who believe that in Jesus Christ there's true freedom, that motivates us at Reconciliation Church as, as we've started uh, our young church. So I'm super excited to jump into Mark chapter 3 with you today. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I want to invite you to open it up. We'll be in Mark 3 verses 7 through 19. Really want to encourage you to follow along for two reasons. One, I want you to know that I'm not making this up. And, and two, uh, I want you to see that you can access the Bible and read it for yourself. Um, Mark chapter 3, verse 7. I want to read the passage for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in together. Mark 3, starting in verse 7. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee. And a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John he gave the name Bonarges that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you are here with us in this time. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, Ears to hear from you, Lord, and hearts ready to receive from you. God, let us receive from you today and not just listen to the words of a man on a stage. Jesus, we need you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I, I consider myself to be almost an expert at college ministry uh, for a couple reasons. One that we were not going to get into, I spent seven years as a student at NC State. Um, yeah, go pack. Um, the other reason is after my time as a student at NC State, 
I spent around four, four and a half years doing campus ministry there as well. If you know anything about NC State, at the beginning of the year, there's this thing called Packapalooza. Um, it is exactly what it sounds like. They, they close off the streets. All the clubs and organizations are there. Everyone's trying to get you to sign up for stuff. There's lots of free stuff that nobody really wants. They realize later, like, I don't want these random plastic cups. Um, but we would go out often to Packapalooza, and our thing was glass bottle Cokes. For whatever reason, if you, I see some of you nodding your heads like, yeah, I got one of those Cokes. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Um, our thing was glass bottle Cokes. For whatever reason, when college students found out that some group was handing out these glass bottle Cokes, masses, masses of students would come and they would say, what do I need to do to get one of those? And obviously, I'm wanting their contact info so that they, I can follow up with them later. But of course, I say, nothing. You don't have to do anything for this Coke. Take one, man. But then you're stuck in conversation with me. And you know, I've got you, right? Um, I'm sure that you've had an instance like this in your life as well. You're like, I don't know why to college students a glass bottle of Coke is like the end-all be-all. But you've been in a situation where you're like, what's going on here? What do I need to do to reap this benefit? Is there something going on where I, like, what can I do? You see, even before we get into this passage, I want you to know that unlike with me and college students, there's no bait and switch with Jesus. He just loves you. God loves you because he chose to love you. You have value because God created you. As part of God's plan to restore all things, Jesus is healing people from every nation. And as he heals them, he sends them out. If you don't remember anything else today, know this. It's Jesus who takes the initiative in reconciling people to himself. Diverse groups of people. And not just in skin color, but in socioeconomic status, in styles of worship, in political preferences. He gets people from really good homes and really broken homes, and he brings them together. Through the gospel, Jesus reconciles sinners to himself. Not just people who would be at odds with one another, but people who want to war with each other. This is the business that Jesus is in, doing miraculous things. And he doesn't want to just stop at doing things in you. He wants to do this work through you. Because when God heals the relationship that we have with him by, by giving himself for our sins, he then enables us to reconcile with one another. Here's where we are in the text. Jesus has just healed a man with a withered hand. And then we see that the Pharisees, these are men who are so worried about keeping God's law that they even tithe like 10% of their spice racks. These men are plotting to kill Jesus. So they're really worried about keeping God's law. 
But now they're trying to find ways to twist it to plot and kill. So that's what's happening. Now let's pick up in verse 7 together. It says this, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they had heard about everything he was doing. Now, Jesus withdrawing from a crowd, the crowds, that's a pattern we see throughout the Gospels. We also start to see this pattern develop where he has to get in a boat because there's so many people coming to him. He needs to distance himself a little bit so he can address everybody. Now, people can't ignore Jesus. They've heard just a little bit about him, and so now they're coming from all over the nation to get to him. From the regions that are mentioned here, we can guess that some of these folks may have walked around 120 miles just to see Jesus. Now think about that. No modern transportation, right? No one's getting on their fixed gear bike, going to Jesus, like they're walking. We can also see this means that a lot of these folks are really desperate. They're willing to walk. They, they might not have even seen him do these works yet. They've just heard from somebody. Hey, we've seen this guy, Jesus, uh, heal a guy that was lowered through a roof. He was paralyzed. Then he took up his mat. Uh, he cured this person of leprosy. I didn't see it, but my cousin said he saw it. Do you want to go check it out? When we just get a snippet of the reality of who Jesus is, we'll want to go and see him, to hear from him. The masses rushing to Jesus. They've either seen what he's done or they've just heard. And they just want to see, is this true? There may be a good question for you here today. Why are you here? And maybe you've experienced the goodness of Christ and you're like, I just can't get enough. But I'm guessing at least somebody in here is like, I just want to know if this is really true. Other people are saying, yeah, he heals. Other people have had their lives transformed. What do I need to do here? I think this is probably one of the best places you could be. Can Jesus heal the most broken, the darkest, the most shameful places in your life? Look at verse 9. And this isn't the Bible exaggerating. It says that Jesus tells his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Earlier this week, I was uh, on a phone call with one of the members of our church, and um, I started to get really surprised in this conversation. I, I don't know what my, uh, you know, 
stereotype of an entrepreneur is in my head, but like the guy I was talking to is not that. Um, but so I was really surprised when he started telling me like, hey man, I'm thinking about like quitting my job and, and starting my own business and like going out on my own. And I just was like, wow, this is awesome. Like I was not expecting this from you. Like, um, sorry if I'm being offensive. Like, but man, this is just incredible. I'm so impressed. I, I'm so excited for you. And as I kept going on and on with him, like, man, this is awesome. Uh, he finally stopped and he said, oh, Ted, I just wanted you to know, like, really, this is just an act of desperation. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, I'm feeling financially stressed. My wife and I are agreeing that, like, I need to do something different. And typically, in my desperation, I just try to make quick decisions to see if I can get things to change. Look at the people in this text. They are obviously desperate. It, Jesus is in danger of being crushed. If you're not paying attention, I mean, look, this, this passage is not a comfortable scene. Not only are there so many people that Jesus could be crushed, they've got diseases. They're pressing and pushing their way to Jesus out of desperation. My friend that I spoke to earlier in the week, he's turning to quick decisions. Can I get something to change here? What's your first inclination when you are in desperate times, in your times of need? If you're uh, taking notes, I want to invite you, write that question down. In my desperation, what is my first inclination? Sit with that this week. Would you seek out Jesus in your times of need? You've got real issues. You've got real pain points. The people in this passage, they walk miles and miles and press and press to hopefully just see them and touch them. Sit with what you tend to turn to and ask, would I turn to Christ and try to hear from Him in my time of need? Look, even the unclean spirits recognize who Jesus is. Look at verse 11. It says, whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, you are the Son of God. And then Jesus would strongly warn them not to make Him known. Now, two questions immediately come up for me. One, what's going on here? You know, I, I think what's going on here is these unclean spirits, when face to face with God, they're not necessarily repenting, but they are confronted with their sinfulness and God's holiness, their weakness and His absolute power. So the only appropriate response for them is to fall down. My second question is, why doesn't Jesus want to be known? Doesn't everybody want that? You see, Jesus doesn't care about showing off. He's not concerned about his following. Uh, who he calls, they will come. 
Today, there would be lots of fake Jesus Instagram, Instagram accounts, but he would not be an influencer. Jesus silences the words of the devil because he's not going to be known as just somebody who can physically heal the body. He cares about your body and your well-being, but he came to set us spiritually free. This, spiritual, this physical healing doesn't fully define who Jesus is. He didn't come just to relieve us of our burdens here and now, though he cares. We come to Jesus and are saved from our spiritual death, and we are able to then enjoy God forever. This unclean spirit doesn't get to speak because Jesus isn't ready for it to be revealed of who he is. If you've ever read the book of John, you've probably noticed that uh, there's this odd phrase of Jesus talking about his hour or his time to come. Uh, This is where he's looking forward to what his purpose on earth would be. What's his time? What's this hour? It's the time where he would give his life to save the lost. The time where his death would bring life, where his blood would be poured out so that we could be united with him, where he would resurrect, where he would ascend to heaven. This is how Jesus should be known. Though we were separated from God, Jesus stepped in. Jesus saves us. He calls us. And then he sends us out as transformed men and women. That's what he does with the 12 apostles. Uh, Look at verse 13 with me. It says, Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. I love how other Bible translations in verse 13, instead of saying uh, he summoned those he wanted, they say he summoned those he desired. Jesus has a strong desire to be with you. Now, this reflects the whole narrative of Scripture. Genesis to Revelation, God desires to be with his people. In a few months, you'll probably sing songs that say, Emmanuel, God with us. This is all over the Bible, that God wants to be with us. Think about that. God creator of heaven and earth, and everything that's in it desires to be with you. God is totally self-sufficient on his own. He doesn't need us, but he desires to be with you. He calls these men. He desires to be with them. He sends them out. Those who have been changed by Jesus, if you've been healed by him, 
what else could you do other than tell other people about them? Now, I want to briefly mention this because I I know it's important and um, some of us have already thought this. All of the people on this list of apostles are men. Don't read this passage in isolation and, and miss out on the numerous examples throughout all of Scripture of Jesus not only empowering women, but showing how much he loves them. Don't come away with an unbiblical view of how Jesus loves, for, loves and cares for women. You can look at Jesus interacting with Mary and Martha, the bleeding woman, the Syrophoenician woman, the uh, Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery. Numerous examples of God showing how he loves, cares for, and values women. And not only that, these women are lifted up as actually some of the most pure examples of faith and what it means to follow Christ. The easy thing here with these men is to focus on their lack of credentials. Uh, they're not very impressive guys. You know, I, I, I joke that I've probably heard five sermons titled 12 Regular Dudes for this passage. Um, but if we focus there, we miss the fact that these guys are really different. They're from different schools of thought. Um, in high school, they, just, they not only wouldn't have been in the same friend groups, they would have hated each other. Uh, my pastor and my friend Russell McCutcheon, he would uh, at this point want me to make it very clear to you that though these guys were very different and they were ordinary, regular guys, it's because of their faithfulness that we are even able to be in here today. Their commitment to disciple-making, to setting aside their differences, endured throughout generations so that we could know clearly who Jesus is and follow him right now. Twelve regular guys with different life experiences, they sacrificed their preferences to make Jesus known. Now, this is what the gospel does. Jesus brings together people on the fringes, the marginalized, people who are educated and uneducated, people with unpopular and dramatically different ideas. Jesus brings together the oppressed and the oppressor, people whose backgrounds clash. If we just take two men on this list, Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, these men definitely had to set aside their preferences and ideas. A Matthew, he would have been a guy who was collaborating with the Romans, who were oppressing the Jews. And Simon, being a zealot, he was organizing people who were ready to take up arms, to be physically violent against their Roman oppressors. These two guys are coming together, united as one under Jesus Christ. They absolutely reconciled their conflicting backgrounds so that Jesus' name would be known. The gospel prioritized over their own agendas. 
you got to be asking, well, how does Jesus do this? Or at least I hope you are. You see, as Jesus reconciles sinners to himself, he empowers us to reconcile with one another. I have found great healing in my soul because of how good Jesus is. So what else could I do but want to pursue you? To pursue relationship with you so you know how good Christ is as well. Did you miss that that looming foreshadowing in verse 19 of Jesus being betrayed? The good news of the gospel that the first century torture device, a tool for shame, the cross, is now our symbol for freedom and life. Because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave. He defeated sin and death. He bore our sin and shame. And so now, I'm free. I'm free to reconcile. If I have been reconciled to God, I can't let myself be primarily known for what I'm against. These men could only be brought together by the reconciling power of the gospel. It just has to be true. It has to be true that this is what the gospel does. How else could the Apostle John, in his glimpse of eternity, uh, see this in Revelation 7, starting in verse 9? He says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He sees in eternity people from all people groups. I'm guessing they've got different preferences. All united as one under Christ. How does he do that? He helps us see that Jesus is king. He's primary. I'm empowered to not strip away and get rid of my preferences and desires, but to set them aside for the sake of others. This is the love of Christ. I want to get face to face with you. I I want to enter into uncomfortable conversations because I want you to know this is real. This is true. As we begin to close, I I couldn't help this week thinking about the uh, one apostle that's not mentioned in this list, uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, If you're not familiar, Paul was a man with an impressive resume. Uh, He was a Roman citizen, so that would have entitled him to rights and privileges that others wouldn't have had. Uh, He was educated by one of the uh, best teachers of the Hebrew law throughout all of history, and he came from a really prominent family. Uh, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone 
in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. To win those under the law. He's saying that those who are under and following the Jewish law still, I'll set aside my freedoms to not do that so that I can reach those folks for Christ. Then he says, to those who are without the law, I become like one without it. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may, by every possible means, save some. We know that Paul knows that he's not the one who saves. He's saying, I'm doing this so that I could be used to save others. Then verse 23, I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. A couple weeks ago, um, my wife and I were FaceTiming with some friends of ours in Athens, Georgia. And I was asking my buddy, um, hey man, like how's it going? How's it going navigating relationships in your church with people? I mean, we've all got varying opinions about COVID. I feel like I change my ideas and comfort levels every day. Um, how's that going? Oh, and how's it going navigating like conversations with racial reconciliation too? Like, what's that like for you guys? And um, my friend said, oh man, it's easy. It's been really, it's been fine. And I was like, what are you talking about? How has how's it been easy? And he said, oh, well, everyone who differed from the you know, other folks in our church, like, all those people left. Oh, all those people left. He said, yeah, I mean, you know, we, our church has been at a church for 18 years. Even people who planted with our lead pastor, those folks left. You know, I'm not standing in that church, so it's easier for me to say this here. I would really question for those people who left that church, I would really question their understanding of the reconciling power of the gospel. Paul, a man with lots of freedoms, solid opinions, he laid these things aside so that he could reach people for Christ. To follow Christ, to help other people follow him by whatever means possible. He was planting churches all across the Mediterranean, very different cultures, people who were in continual cultural conflict with each other for the sake of Christ so that some could be saved. Friends, I want to invite you I want to invite you not to be so married to your opinions and so quick to highlight differences that you forget that as Christians, we're not primarily right and left, but we are citizens of heaven. It's one of the reasons why I love so much one of your church planters, Adam Pickard. I love the name of their church, Citizens. 
We're citizens of heaven. The danger today is for us to think that I know what's right, and I'm going to use that to tear down rather than use the gospel to build up and heal. Christ came to serve, not, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Surely that must mean that I must seek to serve others. Jesus set aside his comfort. He set aside his power. Jesus led a life of service and sacrifice with no thought of his reputation. He left his place on high and dwelt among us, but he didn't stop there. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. We should have bowed to him, but he died for our sins so we could have eternity with him. He deserved to be served, but he served us. He deserved to be worshipped, but he was ridiculed. He deserved to be waited on and catered to, but he was tortured. Jesus was rich in heaven, and he left those riches and entered into our poor state and made himself poor so that we could find our riches in him. This is the gospel. Here's how we close. If you're a follower of Christ, especially if you're here at New City Church, will you be a catalyst for unity in this place? By saying you're a follower of Christ, you're saying that God has reconciled you to himself. You were needy, lost, broken, you were rebelling against God, and in his kindness, he pursued you. If you're a follower of Christ, will you recognize the times when you need to set aside that, that knee-jerk reaction you have about something so that somebody can know Christ's name more than your opinion? Would you find yourself celebrating others more than tearing them down? If you're not a follower of Christ, or if you're in a place of desperation today, I want to invite you to rush to Jesus like the people in this passage, to press and press Jesus may not answer your prayers in the way or in the timing that you would like, but I know this. He desires to be with you. He desires to hear from you. I don't know many people in this church, like I mentioned earlier, but I know that your pastor wants to pastor you. And if you're in a place of desperation, don't be on an island off to yourself. Invite people in. Ask to be pastored. In your desperation, seek Christ. This is Jesus. He's the healer of our souls. He's bringing people from conflicting backgrounds together, united under him to worship and then to be sent out.
Let's pray.